Ladies and gentlemen, this is David Mercatani with Matt Chat. Today, it's my pleasure to be rejoined by the associate head coach from the University of Iowa, Terry Brands. Terry, thanks for making some time to come on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. Yeah, it was good seeing you. I, I've run into you a couple times now, Nationals and World Cup and Rochester. So you guys have been out in the circuit doing big things. Finally catching up, right? For sure, yeah, yeah. So, lot to talk to you about. Um, I kind of want to start with last season. Uh, from the outside looking in, it looked like there were a lot of challenges. You, whether deciding whether or not to redshirt Spencer Lee, dealing with injuries to multiple starters, um, trying to get to whether or not Downey was going to get to Russell for you guys or not. Your guys' ability to get Spencer Lee, Marinelli, and Stoll through all those injuries was really impressive. And I actually ran into Ryan Morningstar. And he told me this phrase that he had learned from Bruce Baumgartner that said a healthy, undertrained guy will always beat an unhealthy, trained guy. So is that a sort of the framework? When when you look back on those, I guess we'll start with the, the, the smaller issue. Those guys that had injuries look like a one-point hafter team were wearing those big, long knee braces. What kind of thoughts come to mind about that? Well, number one, I, I don't know if, you know, those guys were undertrained. I mean, they were – they did everything they needed to do right up to the point of where they were very, very ready to go. It wasn't a situation where we couldn't, you know, uh, put them into positions that would get them ready to go. It was more of, um, you know, watching them and, and really you coach them up any, like you would any other guy. The only difference is that you have, you know, that instead of the psychology of it. You might be dealing with psychology on a different guy. You might be dealing with the emotions on another guy. You might be dealing with the, with the, um, um, you know, like a fast twitch muscle guy compared to a kind of a grinder guy. You know, those are all the way that you get guys ready is based on what their individual body type is. And that's one thing that may be a little bit misunderstood here is that that's what we do. Um, that was something that was passed down from, from Gable a hundred years ago, you know, <laughs> not really a hundred years ago because your, your audience will, I'll get a million texts now that I said a hundred years ago and it really wasn't a hundred years. But anyway, you know what I'm saying there. Sure. And that's, that's first thing I want to put out there. Um, secondly, you put them in those braces because you are protecting a joint and it, it was really, really important that those that those joints be protected and those braces, they kind of serve as reminders more than anything else. And so all of a sudden you're in the position that you know you can't be in, you know, and you try to go to where you want to be, but you shouldn't be there. That brace kind of reminds you of that. And, you know, Spencer got to the point there after the big tens where he goes, I got this. I'm not putting that freaking thing on again, you know? And so we kind of moved on from that. Stoll and Marinelli is a little different there. And, and needed to continue to wear it and, you know, may be or may, may be out of, may or may not be out of it next year. Yeah. Well, I, I think that I, Mark Ostrander interviewed some guys for us at Nationals and he talked to Spencer Lee about how, how different, you know, in Spencer's words, how different he felt like when he got out of that, that knee brace. So you, you definitely, and I think it's really interesting that you, you point out it's a reminder. I mean, I remember a long time ago, literally over 30 years ago, I dislocated my elbow in high school, and the doctor said, look, leave the sling on 
especially when you go in public, even if it's okay, because wrestlers are always jumping you from behind and grabbing you. And it's a reminder to them that you're not, you know, you can't be doing that yet or else you're going to get injured again. So it's a, it's an interesting trigger there. When you look back on the season and, and I, I got, I coach for a long time and there's, you know, coaching reminds me a lot of a duck going across water where if you're doing it right, everything looks smooth on the outside and people have no idea how hard you're working to, uh, to keep things going. Am I right that this was a particularly challenging season or, or is it just pretty much normal and you guys just did a really good job of scoring a ton of bonus points and placing really high at national? Um, I don't really know how to answer that question, you know, without – I can talk out of both sides of my mouth there. Um, it's it's basically you, you do what – it's kind of what I said about those other three guys. You do what you have to do as the times dictate it throughout the season. It's not like you throw your game plan away. It's not like you crumple the thing up because you got beat by Michigan or you crumple the thing up because you got beat by Ohio State or whatever the situation might be or, you know, whatever. You understand what I'm saying there? I do. It's tweaks. It's it's um, things that you do. You see things. You see you got to remember our lineup wasn't put together, and Tom said very, very early um, a lot to the press that this lineup is going to look different by the end of the year. And, you know, to our fans maybe – they understood a little bit more than the rest of the country did. To the rest of the country, it's like, oh, yeah, okay. And, you know, and then all of a sudden you start getting the things together. You start figuring out what you're going to do with the league. You start figuring out um, Marinelli and when do you really put him on the mat, um, those kind of things. And, you know, we got a lot of, a lot of people saying we were overly cautious. Uh, waited too long, this and that. But the bottom line is, is you make those decisions every single day that you're in there. And you're in that wrestling room. When I say in there, I mean the wrestling room. And right. so when you look at Marinelli, you might have his date to go uh, prior to Midlands. But then you watch him and you go, well, he's looking pretty good in practice. You know, let's not take that risk. Let's continue to get him stronger and in better shape. And so you just keep moving. You just keep keep. Uh, tweaking that needle a little bit further and further, you know, into January or whatever the case might have been. And that's just an example of that. And it moved daily, even though it wasn't like where we just were like, oh, we're not going to do that. Let's go this way. And then we turned around and marched a different direction. It wasn't like that. It was more of just small, tiny movements throughout the year. And even with a guy like Vince Turk, and and really, even Paul Glenn, I mean, some of the things, some of the matches that we got out of those guys, based on them believing in the environment they put themselves in, of course, was, was a, a, you know, light years or, you know, leaps and bounds from where it was in November. Yeah, I, I, it's always, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, Iowa has one of the best fan bases in the country. And so there's no, if anything, you know, and they're very, very educated. I think fans in every part of the country, you know, it's any sport, people are second guessing in you know, a different sport, playing Monday morning quarterback, whatever the case may be. I, I find it really interesting. I mean, you know, my dad and I coached the team for 20 years and, and we tried to make smart decisions, but we're with these guys every day. Like you're saying, you know, you're talking to them at night, you're doing one-on-ones, you know, all these other things. I find it interesting that, 
and and obviously you and Tom and your your staff have a, a really long and successful track record of success. It, what do you think the phenomenon is that people that are looking at like maybe five to ten percent of the information and feel like they know better than what you are? No, they know better than what you guys are and what you should be doing. Well, that's what makes sports great is those people, and that keeps them, you know, drawn to, you know, the, I don't know, the, uh, that's what keeps them drawn to the program, you know, in, in the NFL, in the NBA, you know, in all the sports, and in college wrestling, it's no different. In international wrestling, it's no different. And I, I, I don't mind it. I think it's awesome. It's good for the sport. And it's great that we have passionate fans that are out there wanting to, wanting to, you know, give us the information that we need to win the NCAA tournament. We know that we have to do a better job here. And I think that they know we know. And that might be the difference between this staff and maybe some other staff. We know we have to do a better job. And I think our fans understand that we are accountable to that. That's a really interesting point. I know you guys aren't satisfied unless you're winning team titles and, and multiple individual titles. And I think like, you know, talking about sort of the fan interaction here, I think the big, the big topic, I think Andy and Hamilton and I have talked more about this, this off season with the exception of international style wrestling is transfers. And I kind of want to ask you a, a big picture and then a small picture question about that. The, the big picture question I have is kids seem like they have more and more freedom to transfer I see it both ways, you know, as an advocate for young men and women, um, if they're unhappy, you know, they should probably go. It's like keeping somebody in a relationship. But I also see the value from the kid's point of view of sticking it out. And I definitely see the value as a former coach of I recruited this kid. And just because you're unhappy right now doesn't mean you're not going to be, you know, happier in a month. What is your your opinion on the changing landscape of, of transfers in the big picture? Well, I think the NCAA has gone that direction for the welfare of the student athlete, and um, they seem to know uh, what what they want to do, and I'm not going to, you know, I guess argue with that. I, I don't know the answer to that. I'm more of a guy who doesn't have those answers, and my opinion maybe. Uh, maybe isn't that important right now because the rule is the rule and the way that they want to move forward with that kind of stuff is the way that they want to move forward with that kind of stuff. So that's not an easy way for me to not answer the question. That's more of me saying that we, we go the way that the NCAA goes. If there's a, if there's a transfer out there and, um, he's going to fit in our program, we're going to grab him. We're going to get him. We're going to work hard to get him. If there's a transfer that wants to leave our program, we're going to have communication with them, and we're going to, you know, talk to them about it. And the thing with, with them leaving our program is is that the conversations have already happened. You know, there's a reason why somebody's going to leave a program, because there there is not a, uh understanding or a follow-through of what an agreement already was. And, you know, that doesn't mean that we're always right as a staff. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that, is that those those um, values change, or they got here and it wasn't what they thought it was going to be, um, you know, that kind of a thing. And it doesn't happen very often, but everybody has that. Everybody has a guy every third, fourth year that comes in and they're not, 
You know, they, they, they you know, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And so you have to figure out, you have to figure that out within the, within the rules of the NCAA and what your administration wants to do also and what the best thing to do is for the student athlete and what the best thing is for our program, all of that combined together. Yeah. I, and overall, do you think it's good or bad for wrestling? I think that the welfare of the student athlete is a major point right now. And with the things that happen in gymnastics and in the international level in, in, in America in particular, you know, it, it's going that way, and it should go that way. You don't want people to have to lose lose eligibility or lose their career because they're in an abusive position. Define abusive. I don't know how to define that. You know, obviously, you know, what they're saying about those gymnasts and the, and the women, you know, that was very, very abusive. I, nobody really knows that with the guys that weren't there. It's hard for me and you to sit here and talk about, you know, what the level of abuse was there. But the bottom line is, is that, that once that, that trust has been breached, it's very, very difficult for a student athlete to remain in that program with a clear head. And that doesn't mean that I'm giving them saying that it's always on the staff or the program and they're wrong. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that it takes two to tangle and, um, it's both parties are accountable or should be accountable and both parties should, you know, take a little bit of responsibility in how they want to maneuver through it. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, obviously I think the transfers we're talking about, you know, in the college wrestling landscape are significantly different situations and scenarios than the one you brought up and, and thank God. Yeah, but it might be different, but that's why there's so much open. You know, that's why a guy like Suriano could go from a Big Ten school to a Big Ten school and not lose any eligibility. It didn't have anything to do with, you know, the rule in the Big Ten is that you can't transfer Big Ten to Big Ten without, you know, losing a right. your eligibility. You can't get scholarship money, all this stuff that was supposed to be. Well, it, it's not supposed to be because it didn't happen that way. You know, he got through the waivers for whatever reason. And, you know, the funny thing is, is that every time you talk about Suriano, then you talk about the injustice that Penn State did to him or this that Sanderson did to him. And that's just not the case. That's just not the case. It took two people or two um, two entities, the Suriano family and Penn State, to grow apart. It didn't just take Penn State and what they did. And that's just how I see it. And, you know, I'm not trying to stick up for Penn State for obvious reasons, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying there. It wasn't just Kale and Cody Sanderson and Cunningham who were trying to burn this kid out. You know, it wasn't that. It was both parties, and it just wasn't going to work. And so what are you going to do with that? Well, should have he lost a year? Should have, he, should have this happened? Should have that? I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Obviously, no, because the ruling was that he was going to compete, and he did compete. Right. right. And it made the weight class better. It made the weight class better. It was better for us in Iowa. It gave us another opponent we had to get ready for, and it was better for college wrestling. It was better for the sport of wrestling overall. It was a great, it was a great rivalry that happened exactly the way that, you know, 
you guys want one unless you want Tomasello on the other side. And then Lee and Tomasello meet in the finals if Lee was fortunate enough to beat Suriano in the semi. I mean, those are the things that make wrestling great. For sure on that, definitely. So speaking of transfers, you guys landed a super high-profile one in Austin DeSanto. And, you know, obviously his journey in high school is well-documented. Uh, his season last year, you know, a lot of publicity. Obviously, probably, you know, if he had a chance to take a few things back from what happened at Nationals. Um, I actually saw him at uh, at the World Cup. And, you know, we all saw the pictures of him sitting with Spencer and things like that. Tell me about him. What kind of kid is he? And uh, what do you and Tom and the staff expect from him uh, in, in the next couple of years? Well, the only thing I expect from him is that he, you know, he's very, very pleased and happy with the environment that he's chosen. Um, I always say that you have to, you know, if you want to be successful, you have to believe in yourself and the environment you put yourself into. And he's he's made the decision, and it was the right decision for him. And we we definitely feel like it's the right decision for him. Um, he is a very very regimented guy. He is an extremely um, hardworking, focused fellow on the mat, and he will fit in really really well here. He's a, he's all business. Um, as far as what we expect from him, what what, what does he expect of himself? You know, I mean, that's really what I expect. He expects to get better every single day, and and that's what we're that's what we're working toward, is that you know we come to an understanding of how do we get you better every day moving forward to the level that you want to hit. Uh, what are your aspirations? What are your goals? And then let's meet those expectations head on and come up with a plan together, where we're mentoring, we're coaching you up, and you're taking direction, and then going the way that you think you need to go with the information you have. That's how that's how our program operates. Yeah, and it feels like a perfect fit. I mean, I talked to you last fall, and and you know, no disrespect to who you guys had in any weights, but thirty three wasn't a weight where it felt like you guys, you know, were realistically expecting a lot of all American points. And obviously, he slots in there well, and you know, even those of us on the outside can see that. Um, and and he that his transfer leads to an interesting I don't know phenomenon an interesting situation that you guys have right now where I don't know if I've uh, you and I are pretty I think we're the, the same class the same age I'm 47 I can't remember a time when Iowa had multiple guys from from another state like four or five kids from a state like Pennsylvania in the starting lineup two from Illinois theoretically, and only one Iowa kid. I know that obviously the starting spots aren't set, but, and Iowa has historically done an unbelievable job of, of recruiting the best talent in state. How did, I know it's not intentional to go, we're going to get guys from the state. You're just trying to get the best guys in the country that fit your program. Um, how do you think this evolved into the, the, the roster you have today? Well, I think that the uh, population base is wrestling is growing leaps and bounds. You know where the talent pools are, and you know we were getting we were getting beat up, you know, with guys like Spencer Lee and Kemmer and um, may, maybe even Mirren. Time will tell on that, but those kind of guys that were 
you know, staying in the area and, you know, and so the Midwest isn't reaping the benefit of that, those kind of kids and that kind of talent. I mean, these are guys that are, they're academic wizards on top of their great wrestling ability. You know, these are great, great ambassadors for the University of Iowa. Uh, you know, that, that kind of a thing. When you look at the University of Iowa, it wasn't just built on people from Iowa. It was, it's, it's, it's a, uh, institution that is, happens to be in the state of Iowa that is very, very diverse. And they pride themselves on that. And, you know, when you looked at the landscape of college wrestling and the way that it's going and was going, you can't just sit on your hands and, and not go after the best guys in the country. And right now, the best guys in the country that are winning the junior world and cadet world trials and those cadet world and junior world championships and the junior nationals out in Fargo, you know, you're, you, you gotta get those guys. You gotta get that. You gotta get those kind of kids in your program. For sure. And I mean, I, you know, obviously you guys aren't going to say what the lineup is, but you know, if I were to guess your starting lineup next year, five PA kids, and, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, mostly it's, it's upper Midwest. It's just really interesting. You guys have, I would say, I mean, obviously when people accomplish amazing things, one of the things that people have to do, whether it's a young guy trying to win a state title or a national title or a world title, is you have to have an unrealistic view of things because those are hard to do. And, you know, so when other people say you can't do it, you have to believe you can. For those of us that kind of look at things and don't have a horse in the race, Iowa looks like they're really positioned well, not only for this season, but for the next couple where you got a lot of guys that are good and young and where you have uh, upperclassmen, you have really good guys ready to step in. Obviously, the goal is is to get back on top of the podium as a team and as many guys get to the top of the podium individually. How excited are, are you and Tom and Ryan about the, the, the group that you have put together right now? Well, again, this is a – you put a team together based on personalities, um, things that are going to fit, and this is a really, really tight-knit group, number one. Um, now, you know, what you're saying is, is you're going to – you're not understanding maybe not, – not, that's, not, that's not fair to say that. You, I want you to understand that a guy like Paul Glenn is extremely valuable to this program. And he could be the guy. Right. He could be the guy. From where I'm at, where I'm sitting right now, he was eyelashes away. I saw the things, I saw the development in the room, kind of the things that are going on in there, and, and it was really, really close from where I'm sitting. Now, there might be people out there. They're going to go, there's no way. You're just saying that. Well, I'm just telling you from my perspective, that's what I felt. So he could be the guy. If he makes a couple adjustments, two in particular, he will be very, very difficult to beat, in my opinion. I believe in him. He's here. It's, I'm responsible for him and his well-being, and I believe in him. And so, you know, when you talk about all these high-powered guys, he's one of them. He's one of them, and he's going to be in the mix, and, and time will tell all of that. So that's that's the first thing I want to say to you there. Um, the other thing, you know, kind of uh, talking, again, out of both sides of my mouth, the communication in the room has been 
Jacob Warner's going to be in our lineup. You know, that message is clear. Everybody in our room has heard, you know, us as a staff say that. And that we're adamant about that. We have to get Jacob Warner in the lineup. And that means that there's going to be movement, and that means that somebody is going to be out of the lineup. Use your imagination, right? I mean, the math doesn't fit any other way because there's no seniors <laughs> up there, right? Right. So that's a fair warning right there. And that, having said that, do we have to get Austin DeSanto in the lineup right away? I don't know the answer to that. You know, is he going to be ready to compete? Does he want to compete? Does he want to take his red shirt? There are so many things that we're kind of, we're kind of where we were with, um, DeSanto where we were with the league. You got to figure this stuff out. You know, people were pull the ball, pull the ball two years ago. You know, and then this year we got a lot of people wanting to get Warner in the lineup last year. Or not, you know, this this last season they wanted us to pull him and get him into our lineup. Well, it wasn't going to work then. So now you got him ready to go. We got to get him in the lineup. So you're you're getting you're getting again what what your audience is seeing here is that it's about the individual. We want the team title, yes, but we want. 10 individual weight classes who feel really, really good about the environment they're in and that believe that they're contenders for the national championship. And when we get those 10 guys in place, then we're all going to get what we want. They're going to have what they want, and we're going to have what we want with our administration. For sure. And I remember talking to you in the fall of Marinelli's true freshman year and, and you saying something very similar that, look, if we think he's ready, then we're going to do it. But I remember it stuck out to me that how many team points he may or may not score didn't feel like that was – I'm not going to say it wasn't part of the equation at all, but didn't feel like it was one of the two or three primary parts of the equation that it felt like it's, it was – really... exactly, yeah. That's exactly right. It's not, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with his well-being. Is he ready to go? Is he ready to go to contend? I mean, sixth place in the national, that does not cut it for him. He's, I know he's not happy with that. Right. And as a true freshman, if he would have been sixth, it doesn't cut it for him. And I know he wouldn't have been happy with that. And, you know, you, you're, you gotta do what's right for that, for that person, for that student athlete who's in your program. You have to do what's right for them. Yeah, most definitely. So. I'm I'm probably the 900th person to ask you about Spencer Lee, but I I need to. Um, someone I trust and respect, respect said he felt like Spencer wanted to and has become the new face of Iowa wrestling. And I got a chance to actually speak to him at World Cup, and he he just kind of what came off to me is just how genuinely nice it is and his level of humility. Um, and you always seem to have a, a, a really special relationship with those lightweight guys. I know you work out with them a lot. What has Spencer Lee meant to Iowa so far in just a short time there? He is the ultimate. He's become the face of the program with just the way that he talks to for anybody from our Board of Regents to a normal fan off the street. Um, our administration loves him. Everybody in the state of Iowa loves him. They had him up at the state capitol building. 
Um, he's very charismatic. He's easy to talk to, and he gives you the time of day. He gives you the time of day. He's he's an awesome kid. I don't know what else to say other than that. We love him, and he loves it in Iowa. I do know that. Uh, yeah, and obviously you know this that you know the knock on on you guys, and and you guys have have, have done a really good job of addressing it. I think is, you know, that you guys are all business, you don't have any fun, nobody smiles or laughs or whatever the case may be. And he seems like, I'm I'm sure he works his fanny off and is all business when it's time, but he feels like a kid that laughs and smiles and jokes. And so how has his personality impacted your guys' team, the coaching staff, and, and really recruiting? Because that's obviously a huge he fits in perfect. He's what you see is a guy who wears it on his sleeve, maybe a little more. I mean, I can tell a pretty good joke, David. I'm going to tell you that right now. All right. I could make you laugh. All right. I could make you laugh. <laughs> see, I just did. I kind of making you laugh right now. And it just because, you know, I'm out there doing what I'm doing and I'm not, you know, maybe comfortable being in a all smiles kind of a uniform with, the public doesn't mean that I'm not a fun guy to be around. When I say me, I'm just talking generally. I don't mean me personally. I mean our program, our staff. Ryan Morningstar is one of the nicest guys you're ever going to sit down at a at a lunch table with. It's just that simple. He's a great guy. He's a great person. Uh, ben Burhow, I mean, our, our our people love him. And the more they get to know him, the more that they, they want him to be around. And that's really, really important that, that – you know, the, the audience understands that. And Spencer Lee, the difference with Spencer Lee is, is he's that way in the public. He's not shy. He's not, you know, like when he won, you know, the drug test guy came up to him and he goes, oh, it's not like I've never done this before. You know, I've won three uh, <laughs> world championships already. You know, that's just something that I wouldn't say, but it doesn't mean that I don't like it that he said it. It doesn't mean that I don't want him to say that. I want him to be an individual. I want his personality, his charisma to show through. And that's what we love about our program and our team. I mean, these guys are all different kind of personalities, but they're so compatible because they're all driven toward a common goal. And that's what unites them. That's that's what uh, um, draws them close together and keeps them close-knit. It's not that they all want to play Pokemon. Spencer might be the only guy that's a Pokemon player, you know, and that's okay, and that's okay. So, you know, that that's kind of where we're at with that, and I hope that, that you know, I mean, Tom and, and, and all of our people, we say it over and over again. Spencer Lee's post-NCAA interview was phenomenal. He talked about, these are my teammates. This is my family. You know, those are things that are true. Those are things that are really, really, that, that's alive in our program. And I don't know what it is about Iowa and the rest of the country and why they just want to freaking rip us to shreds all the time with that stuff. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. And it just makes a guy like Spencer Lee, you know, really, really, um, um, more and more driven and more and more passionate about this place because of what they're saying about us. It drives him crazy. You know, it drives Kemmerer crazy. It drives Stowell crazy. And, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense. And, when you, like, I think you can see that. 
You know, I think there's a handful of you media guys that see that, and you're like, you're throwing your hands up going, well, I don't know why they say that about those guys. Maybe I'm wrong. No, Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we are robots. Maybe we are robots. But <laughs> I feel really, really good about what we're doing. I feel really, really good about the the uh, um, leadership that we have in the program from the guy that's going to be a senior to the guy that's going to be a junior all the way down to the incoming transfer kid. Right. They're all in this together, and they're all moving toward that common piece. Just a quick side story, but I think it, it goes to your point. Um, I had spoken to your brother the day before I got there to talk about getting some access to some guys, and he was very accommodating. And uh, he's walking through the locker room, and I never, I don't think I've ever shaken, shook your brother's hands till till then. And uh, he's walking in with Spencer Lee, and you guys in the locker room, you have a video monitor of old wrestling, like Olympic level stuff. And it just so happens that Tom is wrestling on that video. And Tom says something like, hey, to Spencer, he goes, hey, check that guy out. That that old guy wasn't too bad back in the day. And then he walked away, and Spencer's standing there laughing. And I said to him, I go, how often do the, does the staff talk about their wrestling? He goes, never. He goes, probably the first time he's ever talked about it. And But you talk about guys that can kind of joke and laugh at themselves and not take themselves too seriously. I thought – it, it was just like a moment, you know, where it's, it's not, you know, like overly significant. He wasn't teaching technique, but just to see the personality of your program, I thought was really interesting. Well, I appreciate it. And we, we don't talk about our careers that much and those guys know, and if they don't know, then they don't, they don't want to know. And that's okay. Also. Right. You know, and I'll give you another example of that. And, and, um, you know, the, my son got one of those things that you can say, Hey, I can't remember what his name is. Maybe it was Siri. Hey, Siri. And then you can ask it a question. Right. And then it'll find out. So I went in there. I go, hey, Siri, who is uh, Arsene Fajayev? And, and this machine went into this dialogue of who Arsene Fajayev was, the world Olympic gold medals. He's won and all this stuff. And I'm going, that thing is awesome. So then Nelson goes, hey, who is Terry Brand? And it goes, Terry Brands is an American wrestler who won a bronze medal in Sydney Olympics and was beaten by Ali Roger DeBeer from Iran. And I go, you know who, who broke that Wikipedia article? It was the Iranians. <laughs> you know, that's kind of, that's kind of funny. I mean, that, that's a barb at me, but it's funny. No, it's so not. that's an example. And, and, you know, I told you I could tell you a joke and maybe I just did or maybe I didn't. But the <laughs> bottom line story, is, though. is that. It's not about us and our past. It's about us collectively, staff, administration, board of regents, student athletes, where collectively we are moving together. We're working on this facility piece. We're working really, really hard in the Hawkeye Wrestling Club. We're wor working really, really hard on our recruiting, and we're working really, really hard on our academics within our program and our, on our wrestling within our program, and it, it, it is headed in the right direction, and it's about the now, and it's about the future. And what I did in the past and what Tom did in the past is irrelevant. It's about how we're moving forward and what we're providing, what kind of a place we're providing, what kind of an environment that we're providing for these guys that are coming in here. And they want to be here. They love it. They love it. I don't know if you saw, but we just got a commit from – from uh, Cashman, that's all I want to say. I don't want to talk any more about it. 
Um, I did that's, see it. Our, it our, but, our good friend you know, Andy Hamilton broke the story. So yes, I did see that. that yeah. That's big. That's big. And, and that's something that, you know, he was, we were off the radar and then he came to that world cup camp. Right. And he was like, this place is nothing like they say it is. Right. And that means a lot to me that he is open-minded enough to be able to come in here and, you know, see through the, the, the bull, you know, and that's all I want to say about him. Sure. But, you know, that's, that's kind of a long winded off the track answer to that that segment there uh, i took us off the tracks first with the story about tom so it's fine <laughs> anyway so speaking of freestyle hawkeye wrestling club um you guys had a lot of guys at the junior world trials in rochester i'm sure you'll have a big group we're we're recording this right before you guys will probably go to akron this weekend um how does competing in freestyle this in the summer impact collegiate success in the context of if they don't compete, I know they're not just sitting around eating Cheetos. I know you'd have them training. So, you know, how how do you guys decide, like, these guys are going to compete, these guys are going to train? Um, you know, how do you find that balance? Well, you have segments or phases that you have throughout the year. And when you come off the NCAA tournament, you're, you're at your, your – so that week after, you're at your really, really most – decompressed time of the year for the guys that competed and the guys that didn't compete they they're ramping up like a guy like warner and mirror and those guys were ramping up toward um the uh, u20s anyway and they've been you know thinking about that you know going all the way back into december january february um even though we're still competing so you have those phases where you have overlaps uh in your program um how you decide is based on the health, the well-being, again, of, of your guys, and then, you know, where are they at in their training cycles. You know, Warner and, and Mirren, for example, I'm just using those guys as an example. Sure. They are not, they are not, um, they did not wrestle the college season, so, you know, we were we were ready to push them into those trials and have them ready to contend to make that team, as an example. Um, that's really, really important to them and to us and their development. Now, when you do that, we're, I'm not, I shouldn't speak for everybody, but for me, particularly in this staff, my focus is world gold medal for Jacob Warner. A lot of other programs are throw them in there, get them experience, and then we'll get them ready to go in the NCAA tournament. That's not where I'm at. I know how important these world gold medals are to these guys, these, these age groups. And that's important, and we put a lot of emphasis on that. When you say you know that it's important, I, I mean, I, just, I feel like the answer is fairly obvious, but, I mean, is it in terms of confidence? Is it in terms of their after, their after Iowa international career? Why do you feel like it's those getting those medals at the, you know, U20, U23, even the cadet level? Why do you feel like that's so important? Because it's important to them. They they verbalize it when we recruit them. They want to know what our plan is for those things. And even if they don't want to know what our plan is for those things, we tell them what our plan is for those things. We want that common thread. We want that that common piece of that we will provide them a place to get really, really, to get better and to have the opportunity to compete in the things that they want to compete in. Marinelli's never wrestled 
a freestyle tournament in his life basically until last year. And you know, that's that's saying something. It says something about him and it says <laughs> something about our program and, and what we believe in, uh, how you get better, how you move forward. That the emphasis just isn't on NCAA championships. Even though that is extremely important, especially in March. Ha ha. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, that's almost shocking, though, that that's, that level of success with, you know, zero or, or next to zero freestyle experience. So um, I'm going to I'm going to jump to the senior level. Final X is right around the corner. As we record this, I think the first one is 10 days out. Um, what do you think of the whole process? Do you, do you like the extra steps? Um, what, what's your sort of 50,000 foot view on this? Holy smokes, you put me on the spot big time now. I here's the thing, you got you got coaches traveling five dates instead of two. You have fans having to travel to at least four trials events if they want to see everybody. Right. Um, it's expensive to travel. The sport of wrestling is not a. Um, and people just, you know, even our own fans don't, they don't have the time. It's a blue collar sport. You know, the, yeah. yeah, they don't have the time to go to Lincoln and then go to, you know, uh, Lehigh and to Rochester. They just don't. And I, I think that we try too hard to be like the MMA. And I think it hurts us. We're not the MMA. We're way more pure than the MMA is. We're made, and that's not a knock on those guys. Those guys are different. Right. Those guys, it's 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 a it's a different kind of a feel. I mean, they're just they're just different people. And wrestling people are a little bit more humble, maybe. And we're we're not gonna get that kind of a reaction out of traveling five dates to make a world team and splitting our fan base. And splitting our best athletes. So you got to go to Lincoln and to Pennsylvania to watch, you know, potential over three dates, by the way, to watch a potential unbelievable talented team. I mean, this could be, this could be uh, as good as the early 90s. Yeah. You know, this could be the, like the John Smith when he was, you know, those years. This could be like that potentially through 2020 and into 2024. You know, this is, we are on the cusp. What, what Zeke Jones and his vision of the regional training centers is, is been a, I mean, we are hitting it out of the park right now. And that doesn't mean that we're going to automatically win. I'm not saying that. Sure. I'm saying that our numbers and our talent pool and how deep we are is tremendous right now. Yeah, I mean, when you say like, you know, I, you know, the obvious of the caveat, we're not necessarily going to win. I mean, obviously guys have to perform, but the overall level of excellence, the level of consistency, the depth, the number of guys that are really good at multiple weights and, and deep, uh, has right. undoubtedly improved. So you guys obviously have Gilman. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. But, but then, sorry to interrupt again, but then you split that. And now you got to travel to go watch them. Sure. 
yeah, you see the, what I'm saying? I mean, that's no. frustrating to me as a, as a fan, as a coach. It's frustrating. And that's all I want to say. USA Wrestling is doing the best job. They, they they think that they're doing the best job that they can, and that's awesome. And maybe maybe I'm wrong. That's why I usually don't weigh in on these things, because maybe I'm wrong. But it just doesn't feel right. It's too much. It's too much split up. We got we we want our people together. We want our teams together. Yeah. I th- well, selfishly, um, I'd like to be able to cover them, and I know I'm not going to cover all three now. And um, last year in Lincoln, when they were all at the, when the World Trials were all in that that one spot, uh, was just unbelievable chance to watch and and be a part of that weekend. So yeah, I, and. I've talked to a lot of RTC coaches and the multiple dates and the expense of doing so is you're not the only one singing from that, that hymnal. So, um, so let's jump to, to Gilman. He obviously medaled, you know, last year, world silver medalist, um, earned the right to sit out the process and wait. Dayton fix comes through, uh, loses to Ramos in Vegas and then beats him two straight in Rochester. What sort of challenges does Fix present to Gilman? He's got to be ready to go against a kid that is really, really dynamic and explosive. He scrambles very, very well, and we got to be ready to go. Um, and, and he he is he's getting ready to go as we speak. So it's going to be good. It's going to be really, really awesome. I'm really looking forward to the challenge. For sure. And I think a lot of us, I mean, we all see this sort of percolating. Um, I, I want to get your opinion on the next two years because, you know, you guys have Gilman and Lee in the same room at the same weight. Obviously, you guys probably don't want to have a repeat of the aftermath of 2016 with, with Daniel Dennis and Ramos. How do you guys approach 2020 so things end up differently? Um. The best guy's going to make the team. And it, it, if you're just thinking those two, then you're, you're I'm not. I'm really. Not those two are in your room, though. Yeah, but I mean, Ramos and Dennis was Ramos and Dennis, and I'm not going to weigh in on that. You guys, that was, that was something that, you know, for obvious reasons, I don't want to get involved with that again. Sure. Um, it's, it's Lee is going to be really, really difficult to beat. Thomas Gilman is going to be really, really difficult to beat. And Nathan Tomasello gets healthy. He's going to be difficult to beat. And if Fix stays down there, he's going to be difficult to, to beat. If Ramos continues to compete and get serious about the sport, he's going to be really hard to get, you know, to knock out of there. So, you know, there's a lot of things that are going on here in my mind. So the best guy's going to make the team, and we are going to prepare and train to be ready to go with both guys if if that's what they want to do. You know, so that, that maybe I'm dodging the question. Not really. We're going to approach it the same way we approach the Ramos-Dennis situation. We're going to get both guys ready to go. And if you get both guys to the final match, then at least somebody from your program is going to represent. Right. And then you hope that it's, you know, whoever comes out on top is the guy that can go on and contend for an Olympic gold medal. That's where we're at with that. For sure. And it, it's a tough question. I, I love having you on because, you know, you, you say nothing's off limits to ask. And um, you are the one guy that, 
to, and I, I'll move on from this, but that Tony spoke highly of. So it's, it's a unique situation for you. Well, let's go to a, a sort of a happier subject. Um, your son, Nelson, who apparently knows how to use Siri and, and all those sort of things, is, is going to be a Hawkeye this fall. And John Smith told me that a few years ago that coaching his son, Joe, was way more stressful than he thought it would be. And um, I spoke to Mark Ryland last summer at Junior Duels, and he told me that you were completely hands-off with Nelson in high school, to the point that he had to ask you once in a while to stick your head in the room. I think his exact quote was, hey, Terry, you are a pretty good wrestler. We could probably use your help in here. So how do you think you're going to balance the coach and dad uh, conundrum or situation for the next four to five years? I think it will continue to be the way it has been as far as our relationship. Um, he comes to me about video at home and, or like he'll grab me and go, okay, well, this guy's doing this. What do you think of that? And then we'll go over it. I don't, I don't try, I, let's put it this way. I try not to inject, um, a unsolicited opinion on him, um, because I know how that is. Our relationship is different than his relationship is with Tom or with Burhau or with Morningstar or whoever. And so I I don't know that it's going to be more stressful for me. I know that when I watch him compete, I want him to do as well as he can, and I want him to represent himself. And I know that when I watched him in the state tournament the last three years, I, I was really, really pleased with the way that he competes. He's fun to watch, and he works hard. And when you can say that about your own son, it feels good. It feels good. It doesn't mean that he's won every single match. It doesn't mean that he's going to continue to win every single match. It means that there's something in him that he, where he really, really likes the sport of wrestling. And those are the kinds of people that we want in our program. He's infectious. Our, our guys like him. Marinelli, Cameron, Paul Glenn, Vince Turk, um, Cassiope, they got a good relationship. Um, Spencer Lee, you know, they were they were in there this morning, and you know they were just kind of sitting there, and they got up and hey man, what's up? And hugged each other in the in the locker room. You know that's cool to see that. That's my kid. Yeah. You know, and those guys they like him, so he's gonna whether he wrestles for us and, and scores points for us in the NCAA tournament or not isn't even you know what we were after with him. It's his personality and his um uh character and the way that he carries himself and he's he's a funny kid he's way different than i am he's he could, way different than he, I he am. could tell me a joke i would laugh at for sure is that right he would definitely tell you a joke that you would laugh at <laughs> and you know what if you ever got to know him i mean all our guys they, they think he's a goofball you know and it's it's funny it's funny because he is very social um, his personality is a lot like my wife's in, in the part where she can talk to just about anybody. Um, it's, it, he's just different. He's just different. It's awesome. I love it. Um, I don't know if it's going to be stressful or more stressful. The one thing I will say about Mark Ryland is, is the reason why Michelle and I wanted to put him at West High is because Ryland is a coach who you have to pursue. And what I mean by that is you have to be, you have to grow very, very quickly and you have to mature very, very quickly to be coached by him. And he is exactly what my kid needed. 
And that's what I told Ryland. I didn't move to West High to manage Mark Ryland. I moved to the West High District because I wanted Mark Ryland to manage my kid and to manage his wrestling. And he did an awesome job, a knock, a bang-out, knockdown job on that deal. And um, I couldn't be more pleased with Mark Ryland as a coach. And, and he gets a lot of knack or a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, hits because he is so hands-off. But that's what I like about him. That's what, that's what the draw was for me. You told me, I think it was a year ago, that he does, a, like, and you said it again, you know, I don't want to re-quote you, but that, you know, guys have to mature quickly. They have to be accountable. Uh, he's not going to baby them. And that that was something that was really important to, to you. Um, you guys obviously have a mutual admiration society because when I talk to him, uh, you know, the same sort of, of effusive compliments come out where, you know, he thinks the world of you and you think the world of him. So, you know, I, I think that's a really cool relationship from the outside looking in. Well, we were teammates. We both graduated high school in 1987, and we were on two national championship teams together at Iowa. He was an NCAA champion in 1991. Um, he was a three-time All-American. Uh, you know, Eagle Grove won the state championship the year that Sheldon was second. Uh, you know, there's a lot of history there. There's a lot of um, um, crossover there, and it was awesome. You know, when he signed at Iowa, um, me and Tom hadn't signed yet, and when we signed, he called us. And, you know, it was great. It was great. And that relationship, there's never been a lot of drama between us. There's always been a mutual understanding that you get kind of what you earn. And, you know, let's just keep moving forward and pushing things forward and cut the drama and see how good we can get. And the parents that had a hang-up with him and the the athletes that had a hang-up with him were the guys that, you know, were really, really involved with the development of their children. They didn't let him manage that piece and let him kind of let let those guys, because Ryland's good at drawing you to him, meaning that if you want something, you're going to have to ask for it. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's not going to go, hey, what's bothering you, and try to shake it out of you. He's going to be like, well, you look like crap today, <laughs> and then walk away from you. Well, you say that to Nelson, and Nelson's going to pursue him. Yeah. You know, that's not my style. I, I don't like that style for me. It would never work for me, but it works for Ryland. It works really, really well for him. He just, it's just kind of, kind of a, a method maybe that's kind of outdated. And that's why he retired. He knew, he knew it was time and, you know, compliments to him on that. Yeah. It's not the touchy feely way. That's for sure. So, um, well, Terry, you guys have – do you have a pretty big crew going up to Akron this weekend? Yeah, we, we're, we're good. We're, we're ready to go. We, we're in good shape. And um, what I like is they're recognizing the freestyle situation. You know, even in their drilling, you know, two weeks ago, it was things where they're hitting things and then it's not a collegiate response. It's a freestyle response going into, you know, turning – Right. Uh, points, hips up, hitting laces, things that are automatically happening. I mean, the IQ of wrestling in that room is 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 relatively impressive to me. Just these guys, they're in the room a lot. They are in the room a lot. When when we have a down day or a, a day where they're on their own, um, 
you know, you can't make mandatory practices, but during the year when you're on those days where they're on their own, we have 40 guys in the room. And that's different than it was six years ago with that class that was, you know, ranked number one, uh, the, the Evans, Telford uh, years. It's different. You know, those two guys were great, but a majority of that class, you know, if we had a down day, they wouldn't show up. They weren't around. And th- these guys are there. It's, it's great. It's so awesome. It's so awesome. It's fun. They have fun. We have fun. Uh, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's great. You can hear the excitement. We're ready to go. Yeah. So you can hear the energy in your voice. Uh, I know the next, you know, there's, you know, Andy Hamilton always says there's never really a down, down or off season. I know you guys have Akron and then final X and then you'll be watching the other two final X's and then hopefully getting guys ready for world teams and then Fargo and then school starts. So, um, I know there's never really a downtime for you. I appreciate you carving some time out for, for me and our listeners. And um, I always enjoy talking to you. And uh, hopefully we can catch up uh, maybe at Fargo and, and, and during the season. Roger that. We can do that. And I appreciate you also. And thanks for uh, – I know we didn't connect there for a couple of months where I maybe dogged you out a little bit. I know at the World Cup um, you were going out and I was going to bed or something, as I remember. Oh. right. No, don't be putting my business on the streets. We had a meeting scheduled in the afternoon, and as a good coach, you just stayed too long at practice. That's what happened. So we got to get the That's truth exactly out. Right. And, then, and I had a chance to there. beat up. <laughs> yeah, and I had a chance to beat up on Mark Bader that day. So that was awesome. <laughs> Fair enough, man. So, Fair enough. So Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I appreciate it as well. Thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Terry Brands. This is David Mercatani. We'll speak to you all next week.